Hello everyone, welcome to the first full episode of With You In Mind. My name is Sarah Bullock-Chase and I'm joined by my co-pilot Lisa Upton. We are the co-founders of Brain Buddy and together we're going to be your podcast hosts. Now before we get started and introduce you to our guests, we would like to give a big shout out to our sponsors, the National Brain Appeal, who are the supporting charity for the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery in London. Let's cue that jingle and get our first episode started. We're so excited to be here recording this first series. We've got some special guests for you today. We've got neurologists Matthew Walker and John Duncan, and we're going to be discussing with them how COVID-19 over the last year has really disrupted some of the valuable work at the National Hospital. In addition to that, Matthew and John are going to be sharing with us how there is light at the end of the tunnel and how we can expect to see surgery and clinics resume sometime in the very, very near future. But I think, you know what, before we introduce the guys to you, um, a little bit more about them because their CVs are so impressive, right, Sarah? Why, yes, indeed. Well, Matthew Walker is a professor of neurology at the Institute of Neurology, UCL, and a consultant neurologist at the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery. He specializes in epilepsy, neurological sleep disorders, and video EEG telemetry. He has various roles within a range of organizations from brain to epilepsy research. John Duncan, he's also a consultant neurologist at the National Hospital for Neurology and Neurosurgery. And as well as his general neurology expertise, he has a particular interest in epilepsy. And with much of his research activities directed at imaging the brain to demonstrate both the structure and function of the brain and their abnormalities in various forms of epilepsy. Since 1998, he has been a medical director of the National Society for Epilepsy and Professor of Neurology at the Institute of Neurology of University College London. So thank you both for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you here today, joining us on our very first podcast. So I think if we just start with the question, um, it'd just be really interesting to know how it's been for you both over the last few months, both personally and I guess from a professional point of view in terms of being pulled onto the front line and and seeing the reality of so yeah no, so it's been incredibly busy over the last few months um and uh, i and and many colleagues have volunteered to help on uh, wards and intensive care the intensive care unit uh, we've of course not particularly qualified to do the um you know the heavy duty um intensive care decisions but being there just do acting really just as help either liaising with families um helping lift and prone uh, turn patients on the itu or taking bloods and and helping out really with the nursing staff and the doctors um and it's had a number of effects one of which is just absolute admiration for all that the nurses and the itu staff do i mean they uh, i can't speak highly enough of of uh what they do, the hours they put in and the stress that they're under. Um, and, and it's been nice to be able to help, really help colleagues uh, during this difficult time. Um, in terms of our day-to-day work, obviously everything seems to have gone virtual again. Um, and that's difficult because I very much miss the patient contact, contact with patients, especially when seeing them for the first time. It seems uh, very artificial to be seeing people over a video screen when it works um, or worse by telephone 
Um, and you often miss, I think, quite a lot of the nuances. And I think it's, it has a detrimental effect on the communication between uh, doctors and patients. So I'm very much looking forward to getting back to seeing people in, in, in face-to-face clinics. Um, on a personal point of view, uh, I've made the, um, I've taken full advantage of uh, the COVID experience. I've been vaccinated. I managed to get COVID. I've had to self-isolate. Um, and I think I've done almost everything apart from uh, deliver Amazon goods. Um, mm. So it's been, um, it, it has been a, a stressful time. And, uh, and I think the other thing really that I, I'm beginning to notice is that it's been, uh, it's been a very, very long year. So um, we, you know, it's not been much opportunity for taking any breaks. Um, I've had very little in the way of breaks or holiday over the last year. Um, and I, I'm just beginning to feel a bit tired and jaded, and I'm just very much looking forward to the to this ending, to the whole of this ending. I mean, I think it's been uh, enormous stress for many people. Um, it's been enormous stress for many of my patients, and I've uh, been in contact perhaps with my patients more so than I am at other times because uh, they've many of them have found it incredibly difficult. Um, on the other side, some of them have found it. Um, has had its advantages. So uh, for some people, it has meant more flexible working hours and seems to have meant less stress. So it's, it's not been all bad for people, but it's, but it's certainly generally been a very stressful time. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people will share with you the, the views in terms of we're only, what are we? We're only at the end of February, but my goodness, it seems like we're, we're almost like nine <laughs> months into the year, doesn't it? Um, but hopefully some light at the end of the tunnel, which we, we, we heard yesterday with, with Boris's announcement. And yes. Well, the number, number of patients um, at, at our hospital at UCLH uh, with COVID has dropped off just dramatically um, and dra- dropped off very rapidly. And that's obviously a combination of the lockdown and also the vaccinations. Um, there's still quite a large number of people in intensive care, and that's because there's a bit of a lag. But um, in terms of patients on the ward with COVID, that, that's, that's very much better. As I say, I'm really looking forward to seeing, um, you know, the, my patients on face-to-face rather than having to speak to them over a telephone line that often fails. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, there's always good and bad. I think it's meant that some patients um, who live a long distance from the hospital um, have been able to uh, more easily, you know, communicate. And, you know, it always seems to me uh, difficult if you come from miles and miles to to outpatients where you sit and wait for an hour or something for your for your appointment and then see me for 10 minutes just to tell me that things are going well um so from for a number of patients it's obviously has its advantages and, and i think there will be a change in practice i think we will start to do more virtual uh consultations uh when when it's possible and when when it's to the advantage of of uh people with epilepsy um, but as I say, for, for many, I do, I still miss that, that face-to-face contact. Mm, definitely. And John, how have you found it? Yeah, I mean, as Matthew said, it's been, um, it's been a very difficult few months. I must say the second wave was a lot actually worse than the first wave in terms of the impact on the hospital. Um, I think we tried to keep things going as long as we can and could, because of course people with epilepsy were being sort of, not ignored, but they they were kind of prioritised out of the acute system. Uh, so like Matthew, I, I, I worked quite a lot on the COVID wards and in high dependency. 
trying to help out, which was a very steep learning curve. And I think sometimes we may have been more hindrance than help, but everybody was very nice and I think really able to help shoulder the load. I, for one, was way out of my comfort zone doing things that I'd never, never done before. But in a way, you know, you could say a change is as good as a rest. I wouldn't put it quite like that, but um, <laughs> looking on the positive side, I certainly learned to do things I hadn't done before. Mm. Um, I learned how to charge an electric wheelchair I'd never, ever done before. <laughs> and I learned actually a lot more about how the hospital works than, than I ever had in the managerial or the, in a consultant's role. So that was uh, very humbling uh, to work with a really great set of motivated nurses who really do all the, all the hard work. And they were really fantastic, actually. Um, but as Matthew says, also, I think, you know, the, the tide has turned and the, the wave of the tsunami of the second wave is now going back. We have to now start picking up the pieces and resuming, uh, trying to get business as usual uh, going. I mean, it's, it's really been severe. I mean, like, it's just over a year since the last epilepsy surgery operation. It was February 2020 was the last time. And we, of course, have us and our surgical colleagues, Anna and Andy, have a large number of people who are waiting for epilepsy surgery. And a lot of the follow-up appointments I'm having with people were designed to be three months after the operation. And the operations haven't, haven't, haven't happened yet. So it's a question of, you know, keeping in touch with people, keeping their motivation up, giving them explanations as to where we are and what's happening. I think I've had three follow-ups today exactly exactly like that people from, from all over the place from the north of england from wales from northern ireland and so on uh who are rather in a holding pattern waiting everything all the tests have been done but i think you know things are beginning to get going we've got three dates for surgery now in march which is great um we've been able to resume um our imaging research whereby we're using imaging to try and make neurosurgery more precise. We had um, a patient yesterday and again today coming to Chalfont really for a whole day of scanning. So that feels as though it's, these are the green shoots of spring beginning to uh, begin to take root. And so we're, we're really looking forward to that. But we have to be cautious uh, because whilst the vaccination programme in the UK really has done well, and I think it's fair to say it's been done, it's unusual to say this for Britain, but I think it's, it's done better than any other country globally, um, which is a fantastic achievement. And as you, we're really seeing the results of that with the numbers of sick people coming into the hospital, dropping right off. And whilst I think we still have, I think, 35 patients with COVID in, in the hospital just now, these are people who've been there for a while and they're either stable or they're on the recovery pathway. And what isn't happening is we're not being inundated every day with, you know, as many new people who are deteriorating with COVID, uh, many, as many and more than we could take, which was the situation until fairly recently. So the lockdown and the vaccination programme have had a dramatic effect uh, on this and will put us in a much better position to get back to business as usual. Um, I think though people can't be too, people can't be too blasé about this. The virus, coronavirus has not, has not gone away. And if I see people who say, well, I've had the vaccine now, I don't need to bother about wearing my face mask. If I see these people in petrol stations and in shops, I have to resist the temptation to, to um, have, it, have it out with them because I can see it probably wouldn't go, it wouldn't go well. But uh, bearing in mind some of the uh, people who one's talking to, 
mm. but people have to keep their guard up and this is this has to be a, a change a change of life mm. i think in the hospital certainly uh infection control really is to the fore and actually you know there are some advantages to that in that um if coronavirus precautions are taken that also gives defense against other kinds of hospital acquired infections that people would always be uh potentially exposed to. So one of the, I suppose, fringe benefits of this COVID uh, pandemic has been better infection control across the hospital. Mm. And I think that's something that will, that will stay with us. I think so far as clinics go, uh, certainly the delay for surgery has been, has been a very difficult ordeal for many, many people. I think also for new patients, as, as Matthew has described, it's very suboptimal just doing it by telephone. I mean, by analogy, it's like being at Twickenham watching a rugby match or hearing it on the radio, hearing just the description. Okay, you, you, you get the big scores, but you, move, you lose all the nuances. Mm. And you, you miss the, the, the interchange between the referee and the players and so on. It's mm. very much part of the face-to-face -face consultation. So I think for new patients, it's much less satisfactory. Mm. There are, however, some people maybe people who, who, who one knows well, and they, and there's a good relationship already, whereby if they come from a long way away, and it will be a whole day trip to get to Queen Square and back, and, and, and expensive as well as time consuming, that if the situation is fairly stable, actually a telephone appointment or a video is actually much more convenient for people. Mm. So I think that will stay with us. I think we will have more follow-ups done by telephone and by video for the right people uh, so yeah. it, it, it will stay with us as part of our portfolio in a way it's like the analogy i mean like um imagine say 40 years ago one had to make the appointment one had to make an appointment to go and see the bank manager to get a loan i mean that would seem extraordinary doing that now you just do everything mm. online so i think healthcare is moving in that direction and COVID has given us a huge impetus to do just this. So I think we need to keep the good bits of what we've learned from this pandemic, like you know, better infection control, uh, telephone clinics and video clinics for the right people. But also we have to get back to doing what we have to do and can do much better face to face. But I saw a gentleman in clinic yesterday by video and he thought he developed Parkinson's disease as well as his epilepsy. It's quite difficult doing an examination for that. You can have somebody walk across the room and see their hands, but without mm -hmm. actually examining somebody physically, you, you, miss a, you miss a lot of nuances and aspects. If anything, can both of you give us an update on any research that's been underway as well? Well, it's been very difficult. I mean, a lot of our, the research I do involves uh, patients coming to the hospital and you know, particularly yeah. people coming for brain imaging as a prelude to surgery. Mm. So that really has taken a big pause over the last nine months. But I think we've been able to, um, by that enforced uh, moratorium on seeing new people, it's, it's actually given us, this, looking on the positive side again, it's given us the opportunity and the bandwidth to actually reanalyze old data that have been acquired a year or two before a lot of analyses that you wanted to do but you couldn't you didn't have time to do so actually there's been some quite good some there's been some good come of that and we've been able to write some new ways of acquiring scans with much higher resolution which were used at Chalfont actually for the first time yesterday um yeah. basically so you can you can map the nerve fibers in the brain 
to a, a, with a dimension of just about a millimeter, which is much oh, better than has ever been ever been possible previously. So I think you no, know, we've been able to do that kind of thing. Um, so it, ha it hasn't been a complete uh, waste of time in terms of research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah as, as John says, I, it has had an impact, and um, and I do both clinical and laboratory research. And you'd think in the laboratory research it may not have mm. such an impact, but of course, you know, in the laboratories, we, you know, people have to be separated by more than two meters. Uh, in fact, we've been running the laboratories initially just on 25% of occupancy and now up to 50%. And, mm. and so it has had a big impact on laboratory research as well. So mm. research has slowed. Uh, but as John said, you know, it does give you the opportunity to, to step back and think about, you know, what you're doing to reanalyze things that you've done. Um, and we've, we're planning for a big uh, trial um, with a completely novel approach to the treatment of epilepsy, um, which is using gene therapy where we can uh, in, inject in a sort of vector into the brain that just modifies the excitability of brain cells rather than cutting them out or destroying them um, uh, with, a, you know, hopefully permanently curing people with epilepsy. Uh, and we've been working on that for decades now. And... Uh, over the last year, it, it, it has slowed things a bit, but it's given us the opportunity to, you know, sort out the clinic, the protocols for the trials, um, to, to, to get a lot of the paperwork done for the trials, so that hopefully we're going to be ready uh, once we come out of this lockdown to, to actually move ahead with the first in human trial of this of this therapy. Wow. So, you know, so there's always, I, I think it's always easy to sit and look at you know, the, 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 the worst possible side of anything that happens. But, you know, there are benefits. Um, although I have to say the benefits have been small compared to the, obviously the devastation that the, the uh, coronavirus has caused. But, um, you know, there have been some benefits for, from, from having this period. Mm. And I think it's quite good to be able to see the benefits, the positives, you know, things that possibly we've learned from all of this. And I mean, I think amazing doing this research, this gene therapy as well. So it's very interesting to hear more about other aspects, other things that are going on at this time. Mm, fantastic, guys. We talked a little bit earlier about the easement of lockdown in Boris's announcement yesterday. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that means for the national in terms of how clinics might start to resume or when they might start to resume? Mm, this hasn't really been translated actually into um, clinical detail. I think uh, one thing is that the, the telemetry ward at Queen Square reopened this week. Okay. So our seven beds of video telemetry, which wow. is mainly geared towards people being considered for neurosurgery. That's now running again, having been closed since uh, must have been beginning of December. So that's that's great. Um, I think in terms of clinics, I mean, our epilepsy clinics have been pretty much been running business as usual in terms of numbers of people, just by rather than being face to face with video and um, telephone clinics. And my sense is that what will, the plan that's in place that I think will get rolled out is that we will probably say have a face to face clinic one in two or one in three of our clinics will be that. So it'll be grouped up for people who you need to see face to face. And then there'll be telephone clinics and video clinics that don't need to be done in the outpatient department. And for some people, be. that'll be the right thing to do, won't it? Like you said earlier, um, I think both of you touched on it. For some clients, it's the right thing to do through telephone because you do have some people. I mean, I know myself, I used to come down for, to London 
on times and it would just be um you know a 20 minute appointment and all is well and there's no need to do that we can do that by zoom but in other situations we absolutely need the face-to-face aspect of it don't we and and, and some individuals are, are quite nervous i mean it does i mean chaff has been running with video telemetry and mri all through the lockdown period I mean, Chalfond is much easier because it's much it's a much more spacious site. That's that's been running. Well, numbers have been reduced, but it's, it's certainly been running. But no, some some folk are invited to come there for their appointment, even just for an outpatient scan, and mm-hmm. they just feel very uneasy about that and want to want to postpone it. So I think mm-hmm. we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't underestimate the concern that some people have about going into a hospital and they for fear that they may. They may uh, contract coronavirus. Mm. Mm. I think they can be reassured that you no, know, the steps are very rigorously in place to take. A, you can never take it away hundred percent, but to really minimise the risks. Yeah, for sure. But I think as time goes by, people get vaccinated. Um, I was talking earlier about people being a bit too lackadaisical. I mean, the other extreme, of course, that some people will um, find it so anxiety-provoking coming to a hospital they may choose not to do so you know, even for, you know, for months even years to come okay. and that's a real concern actually because there's a lot, a lot of people not only with epilepsy but with other conditions are probably going untreated with delayed treatment because of COVID partly because of COVID taking over things but also because people are uneasy about going to the hospital yeah. and that was very clear in accidents and emergency that uh, both in the first wave and the second wave the numbers of people coming to the emergency department with a whole range of conditions, you know, from chest grit, from pain in the leg to chest pain or possible stroke, whatever, numbers were, were, were remarkably reduced. So uh, that there needs to be some rebalancing of that. But I think it's uh, for you asked how it's affected us. I mean, it's been has been it's been traumatic. I think in a way, it's less traumatic for us than many people because we've you no, know, we've carried on doing the job. And you know we've uh, obviously you have to you have to come to the hospital to do, to do your work. You can't sit in patients and face to face clinics are done. So I think it's been a much less impact for us than for people who either are furloughed, furloughed and not working, mm. or are entirely working from home, mm. um, which must be really difficult for the for the course of a whole year. Well, I mean, is there any information or advice, you know, you could give those individuals who are waiting treatment, who are, you know, within your clinics, anything to give them? Well, I mean, we keep in touch, we keep, we keep in touch with people and mm. part of the job in a way is to um, give people more support to so tell them and if uh, people have, people have, we haven't cancelled appointments, I guess kind of put them online. So at least you can talk to somebody and okay. say, you know, we're still here, the hospital yeah. hasn't been closed. Mm think of this as a pause rather than a stop and no mm. one's been no one's forgotten about yeah. yeah yeah and i think that last point's very important that you know obviously we haven't forgotten about people at all and, and I, I know that sometimes people sit there thinking you know nothing seems to be happening you know i was mm. supposed to have my operation in april last year um and i, I know certainly some of my patients have been concerned that because they've missed that that you know that's it they've, they've, they've missed it but that's not the way things work at all Mm. Um, and the hope is that um, you know that it will be possible to to perhaps even up the uh, number of operations that we're doing, or uh, to somehow uh, deal with the um, increased waiting list, because I think that's that that's the concern as well is that it's yeah. not just p- 
people who have been on the waiting list now who've, who've obviously had to wait because we've not been doing surgery, but people in the future because the waiting list will be that much longer. And so I, it's really, you know, it's up to us and the hospital and, and the government to try and sort out ways in which that can be remedied. Mm. Um, and um, it's not clear at the moment how that will happen, but I'm sure it will happen because I, these waiting lists can't remain as yeah. they are. No. And we know as well that waiting is a big um, cause of anxiety for lots of people. I wonder if there's been any extra support for people who have been waiting for surgery or appointments that they've not been able to attend. Well, I mean, we have ourselves, we have uh, three fantastic epilepsy nurses. Uh, We have our secretarial team take, take many calls from people. We have our, obviously our psychologists, including our clinical psychologist, Sona Kara, who's now part of the system so there's a fair few people to take the calls but of course you know there are 10,000 people with epilepsy come to our clinics which is a big number Um, and sometimes I mean it is sometimes difficult to keep pace with the um, with the demand particularly not only from telephone but also from email uh, contacts from from people Mm. and you know i think sarah and i really miss that aspect of what we do with brain buddies supporting people and and you know just just being there in person um Mm. at queens and and all the talks that we did last year so we're really looking forward to hopefully fingers crossed getting (laughs) back to that at some point this year yeah Yeah. i mean my best prediction from that will be will be um probably late late june okay if things go according to plan Mm. the um I think it's the 21st of June. Yeah. It's hoped that the kind of basically restrictions will be lifted, mm. provided the recovery goes, you know, without any hiccups. So yeah. let's let's fix a, a face-to-face brain buddy meeting for the first mm. Wednesday of July. Oh. Let's do it. If you could say and give us just one thing that you maybe have learned. I mean, I think it's, it's actually been... Um, I mean, it's like many things. One of the things is you, you learn a lot about uh, colleagues. Um, and I have to say mainly very good things about colleagues. Um, you've, you know, you've, you've learned how resilient moment I was are. worried. And, uh, hmm? <laughs> moment I was worried. <laughs> uh, no names. Um, and how resilient the NHS is. I mean, it's really, uh, it's difficult to, uh, I think, convey how impressive and admirable um you know the, the response has been i mean i you know i can't speak for you know all hospitals i can just speak for the hospital i work in um i mean certainly with the second wave things were, were well organized uh, there was an enormous response to you know volunteer be asking for volunteers and you know uh, or colleagues that seem to be doing incredibly impressive uh things and amounts of uh, extra work in order to help get us through this. So I suppose, you know, it's like, it's like anything, it's like any disaster. One of the things that you learn about is um, both how altruistic and also how robust, you know, humans are. Um, and, uh, you know, it's be, that has been sort of life affirming, really. Uh, so that's been a positive thing. Um, but uh, I'd rather not go through this to, to learn that. <laughs> yeah, understandable. What about yourself, John? What do you um, feel you've learned? Well, I learned. Wash your hands more frequently. Mm, <laughs> yes. I think everyone has now learned that, yes. And actually, you know, wash your hands, show your hands, 
before you open and close every single door in the hospital, before you go near anybody or touch anything. And that's, I think that's, uh, and also you no know, face coverings when you're in um, within two, two meters of people. Mm. I think that's become second nature, actually. Um, okay. Yeah, I think I, we'll all come out of this a lot more germ aware, won't we? Yeah, and I think I think other hospital infections have dropped because of this. Good. So, um, so it's you know it's it's had an impact on on other infections as well. There's far less flu as well. Not surprisingly. Mm. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Well, they say, don't they, not all heroes wear capes. And I, I guess me and Sarah, on behalf of all our listeners, just wanted to say a personal thank you for your continued hard work throughout this pandemic. You, you really have been our frontline heroes. So, yeah, yeah. God bless you both for that. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to, I mean, I'd like to thank you, but I'd also like to thank all our patients as well, but patients for having the patients, because, um, you know, it's been an incredibly difficult time for many of them. As John said, you know, people have had surgery delayed. And uh, I have to say that, you know, I, we have a, um, uh, a very lovely group of patients who, who, who have been wonderful through this. Um, and although obviously they, people have had concerns and, and contacted us perhaps more than they would at other times, that, that, that's not no problem at all. But I just, I've just been very impressed about the way that people have just coped with, with what's been an absolutely terrible year. It really has for so many, hasn't it? But uh, there is light at the end of the tunnel, as we've heard you say many times as part of our chat today. Thank you for myself and Sarah for, for agreeing to be our guests and also sharing some really positive news about the future. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to interview you both today. We are super excited for the future of With You In Mind episodes because we have some really great guests lined up for you. Join us next time when we'll be interviewing neuropsychologists from the National Hospital and we'll be looking more into the emotional right side of the brain. Yeah, give us a follow on all social media platforms where you can hear the latest With You In Mind episodes. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well and stay tuned.